Welcome back, everybody. This is episode nine of the Cause for Joy podcast. Welcome, welcome. We've got Father Kev here and myself. Father, you recently went to the Holy Land. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I did. It was awesome. I went with a couple of priests from the diocese and I think it was about 30 or so other people from the diocese. We spent about 10 days over there, came back with a tan and a beard. You know, if you're going to walk in the land Jesus walked, you got to start looking the way that he looked, right? That, so that makes sense, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna not grow out the hair, though. I'll just kind of stick to the facial yeah. hair. And yeah, that could get problematic. Anyways, it was a... <laughs> It was a it was a really good trip. I went once as a seminarian. It was a whole new experience being able to go as a priest and being able to provide the sacraments at those holy sites, being able to say mass at a number of the sites, hearing confessions and some of those sites that we hear about in scripture. So very grace-filled trip. It helped me to be really grateful to be a priest and really enjoyed the company of the people that I, I went with, the, mm-hmm. the group as a whole. We really bonded well. Mm-hmm. So. What was your favorite spot in the Holy Land? So this time around, I think my favorite was probably being able to say Mass at the site of the Annunciation mm-hmm. in Nazareth. Just because when I was thinking about seminary, when I was still on the fence of, ah, should I, should I enter, should I not? I was praying one day with the scripture passage of the Annunciation. Mm-hmm. And I had just enough of a conviction to say, all right, Lord, I have no idea if I'm even going to end up being a priest, but... I feel inspired by Mary's fiat to just give you my yes to at least say yes to seminary. And Mm -hmm. then 10 years later, here I am as a priest saying mass at the site where that happened. It was a good reminder for me of we never know what's going to happen when we give God our yes, Mm -hmm. how his mysterious will is going to unfold, but just to continue to be inspired by Mary's fiat and her surrender. So that was that was probably my favorite spot this past trip. That's awesome. What were the age ranges? Because I know you mentioned there was someone there who was like 14. There was there was a 14-year-old, yeah. I, I don't know how that works with her school schedule. I think she was supposed to do homework on the trip. I don't think much of it got done. Can't say that I blame her. <laughs> yeah, and then we had some elderly as well and, and everywhere in between. But f- for the most part, it was, it was middle-aged and few young people that's an incredible experience though for like a 14 year old to be able to go to the holy land oh for sure like i think my first plane ride i was like 15 and i went to florida yeah but she's like 14 and i'm like going to the holy land i'm like dang that's pretty awesome right right what an incredible opportunity absolutely absolutely so in this episode we're gonna be talking about confession we've got lenten penance services coming up and we had an episode about rooting out sin So let's talk about reconciliation. Let's do it. And we're going to kind of do this a little bit like the anointing episode that we had. So we're going to start out with some catechesis and then dive right into some practical ways of having a more fruitful reception of the sacrament. Mm -hmm. So Padre, one of the most common questions or objections from non-Catholics and even many Catholics is, why do we go to a priest? Why can't we go just straight to God? Yeah, it's a really good question. We might end up possibly spending the most time on this question because, like you mentioned, there's a lot of people who have this question, and I think there's a lot of different ways to answer it. So I'm going to give the way that I think is most sort of convincing or helpful for me, even though there's other angles we could possibly go at it from. But the way that I find it the most reasonable is that when you look through Scripture, what our tradition teaches about God is that he seems to like choosing to mediate. He likes using mediators. And I think one of the most 
obvious examples of that is how it is that he became man in the first place. If you think about it, this is God. He could have become man and enter into our world however he wanted to. He could have just sort of zapped himself into existence. He could have even approached the Blessed Mother and said, you are going to have my child, my son, you know. But what happens? God sends his angel to Mary and asks for her permission. He asks for her consent. Will you be the mother of God? And it's through Mary's consent, her fiat, her joining her will to God's, that God is able to become man, right? So we see that God chooses Mary to be a mediator in that moment for him to become man. And we see God making that choice to mediate his presence, his graces. Throughout scripture, we can think of the Old Testament priesthood, for instance. The Old Testament priests were mediators between God and man, bringing man's prayers and sacrifices to God and then giving God's blessing on behalf of God to the people. And when you go into the New Testament priesthood and now what we believe the Catholic priesthood is the through apostolic succession. It's the continuation of the priesthood that Jesus establishes. It's one priesthood in Jesus, the one high priest, and priests today continue in that mediating role. And so when you're in the confessional, it's ultimately God who's absolving you of your sins. It's not me as a priest, like just Kevin. It's God working through me, through the grace of holy orders, who is absolving you. Right, exactly. So God chooses to mediate his grace. We see this in the sacraments. Then there's also some biblical roots as well for where we see some of the roots of confession taking place. So in John 21, there's the scene where after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And he says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. And you pair that with, there's another passage, it's in Matthew 16, I think. Well, it's in 16, and then I think it's in 18, because first he says it to Peter, and then he repeats it to the apostles when he tells them that they have the authority to bind and to loose. Mm -hmm. And that also has to do with confession. So I think for me, if I were to boil it down using everything that I just said there, why is it a priest? Well, that's how we believe Jesus himself instituted it. Mm-hmm. And why would he set it up this way? I think it's because God likes to depend on mediators. So that's that's the best way I can think of to describe it. I'm sure there's other ways you can get at it, but that to me is the most helpful. God likes to mediate, and that's simply the way that God set it up. So I really like how you pointed out that there's mediators, because just looking back at the Old Testament, two of the people that kind of stood out to me was Moses, because he was a very mm-hmm. obvious mediator, and then one that kind of, I feel like isn't as obvious is Joseph, Jacob's son, Mm. because God gave Pharaoh these dreams and through the help of God, Joseph was able to interpret those dreams and save all of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's a really good point that you made because I hadn't thought about that before, but Mm. you can totally see it throughout scripture. Another thing I think is that many Catholics are nervous about going to confession, so they just put it off or make up excuses not to go or don't want to admit that they're nervous. What would you as a priest want to say to those people? I guess I would ask first, why is it that you're nervous? Because I think there could be a number of different reasons why someone would be nervous to go to confession. I think on the one hand, there's probably people who would be nervous because they had a bad experience in the past. Maybe they went and the priest yelled at them or shamed them. And so now they're 
understandably nervous or fearful or, or anxious to go back. And so I get it. I sympathize. I understand how that would be difficult for you to be vulnerable again. I understand that. And I hope that you're able to find a priest who is able to be merciful and maybe heal that experience and, and the way in which it kind of left its mark on you. So that's that's kind of one thing. I think some people could be nervous to go back to confession because they might think that they've committed such a great sin that there's no possible way it could be forgiven. When in reality, there's only one unforgivable sin. It's, it's sometimes referred to as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, as, as Jesus uh, calls it in the Gospels. And that's any sin which we are not contrite in confessing. So if I don't ask for forgiveness for this sin, then I can't be forgiven of it. But any sin in which I do have this contrition, or at least attrition, and I, I confess it, it, it can be forgiven. So if you're nervous, it can't be forgiven. If you've got a contrary heart, it can be. Maybe the third reason why someone might be nervous, and perhaps this is the more common one, I'm, I'm not sure, but it's because you don't want to maybe scandalize the priest or you're afraid about what he might be thinking about you if he's judging you. And to that, I would respond as, as a priest confessor. Number one, I find myself having such great respect for people who are willing to own their junk, who are willing to say, yeah, I messed up and I desire to bring reform into my life. I'm willing to admit it and desire to move on from this point. So I, I really have great respect for the courage that that takes, the honesty that that takes. Secondly, I would say that I myself, as a priest, go to confession pretty regularly. So if I myself know that I struggle with sins and I'm going to priest regularly for confession, then how can I be judgmental to somebody else who's coming to me for confession, right? And that's why I think it's providential that God asked sinful men to be priests who hear confession and not angels. Because if I had to go to an angel for confession, holy cow, I would be just <laughs> terrified, you know? Like, I, I wouldn't be able to be honest, but if I'm able to go to someone who I know is sort of in the battle with me, who I know can sympathize with human weakness, it helps me to be able to be a little bit more vulnerable and honest and Finally, I would say, you know, again, if you're nervous about what the priest is thinking, let me put it this way. I've been a priest less than a year, and I think I've pretty much heard every sin in terms of like all the Ten Commandments, all the seven deadly sins, and some variation of that. So already at this point, you're probably not going to give me anything new. You're not as original as you might think you are with your sin, right? I've, I've probably heard it before. And so you don't have to worry about the shock factor in that regard. So I don't know. Those are just some thoughts that could be helpful for someone. If you're wondering what the priest is thinking, those are at least some of the thoughts that I have as a confessor. Well, and I feel like I've even heard some priests say, like, I, I don't remember what you confess. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's not something that stays on my mind. And not only that, but you've also got the seal of confession. Right. And so what you say to the priest in confession, he won't go and tell the whole community about right, it. Right. I know that's a tricky topic for a lot of people, too. It's, it's It comes up in the news quite often because sometimes police or, or some sort of legal authority will summon a priest and try to get them to break the seal if it has to do with some crime. And unfortunately, some priests have had to face 
persecution because they've kept the seal in order to protect the identity or the sin they may or may not have heard in the confessional. So I, I know that that's a it's a tough topic for some yeah. people to accept, but it's, I think, a, a gift that we do have that seal. Mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that I wanted to point out, too, I, I love this quote from John Paul II. Confession is an act of honesty and courage, an act of entrusting ourselves beyond sin to the mercy of a loving and forgiving God. And I think that's really at the heart of confession. We have to remember that God is a loving and forgiving God. So if we come to him and lay it all out, mm-hmm. it's not like he's going to turn us away. Right. He's going to forgive us. And I, I, I love that John Paul II pointed that out. Mm-hmm. It's just a mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful way of putting it. Absolutely. So how often should we be going to confession? So the church asks us to go at least once a year. I don't think I heard that growing up. And so I know for myself, I went probably about four years uh, without going. I I think I had to go for my confirmation retreat when I was in high school. And then I just never got around to going back until my first year of college or so. And so that was four years that had passed. And I just didn't realize that the church asks us to be going at least once a year. So that was helpful to learn after, you know, I went to that confession. And then every time that we are aware of mortal sin, on our conscience, we should go. And maybe a refresher for people who either don't know or kind of forgot the difference between a venial and a mortal sin. Mortal sin very simply has three criteria to it. It's got to be something that is grave matter. You had to have had sufficient reflection and a deliberate consent. So in other words, you knew what you were doing and you were free to choose otherwise. You, you freely chose to, to do it. And the sin itself, the matter itself, was, was something that was grave. So whenever we're aware of that mortal sin, uh, we should be going to confession. But then in addition to that, the church also invites us and encourages us to be able to go regularly, even for venial sins. And it would depend, I guess, on the person, what, how I would define regularly. We're all at maybe different stages in, in our spiritual lives or in our, our time of conversion or whatever. So I think in general, monthly might be a good goal for some people. Just because the sacrament offers graces mm-hmm. to help us in the Christian life. And it also helps us to be able to admit those venial sins so that they don't snowball. Because if we just sort of aren't bringing those into the light, they can begin to accumulate. So I think it's wise to be able to go regularly and confess those sins that even if they are venial, which again, as a reminder, an act of contrition and Holy Communion can take away venial sins, but there's some benefits to be able to go regularly to confession, even for those as well. Mm -hmm. And I just have to mention this because we're talking about venial and mortal sins, Mm -hmm. but I sent you and Emma are this awesome meme that was basically this cartoon character saying whenever i think of mount carmel i think of a giant mountain of carmel and melty caramely people living on this mountain and he's then shown in the confessional and you hear the priest saying weird but not a sin. <laughs> Technically not a sin. Yeah. So yeah, I've seen a lot of those, those memes. memes those where it's good. like, that's, that's not a sin. <laughs> right. Exactly. Anyhow, so for those who have been away from the sacrament for a while, can you refresh us on how to properly go about the sacrament? Sure. So if you go to confession and you mention that that's the case, usually the priest should be able to help walk you through it. And if it's been a long time and you think that it might take a while, 
in the confession, I would just suggest maybe making an appointment with the priest just because, you know, for instance, if it's at a communal penance service, it's like, praise the Lord that you're there. But those tend to be kind of on the quicker end, like come up, confess your sins and get out. So like, yeah, you don't have a ton of time for counsel and direction and everything. So if, if that's more of what you would desire, I would encourage you to maybe make a, an appointment with the priest. Beforehand, I'd encourage you to prayerfully go over an examination of conscience to help enlighten your conscience as to what sins should be confessed. You want to start off by giving the priest an approximate time since your last confession. And this just helps the priest to have a little bit of context because the way that I might speak with you who haven't been here for a month might be different from the person that I'm speaking to who it's been like 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. So it just helps me to have a little bit of context. You begin by confessing all of those unconfessed mortal sins since your last confession. And then if you've thought of some venial sins as well, you can bring forward those unconfessed venial sins. And when, when we confess, the church encourages us to confess both number and kind. So by number, I mean, you don't need to have an exact number of like, I swore 52 times or I took the Lord's name in vain 17 times. You don't have to be that precise, but it does help us to be honest with, you know, maybe it was often or it was sometimes or a couple of times. And then in terms of kind, this just helps us from being too vague. So for instance, if someone were to say, you know, I, I sinned against the sixth commandment. It's like, well, that could be a lot of different things. Like that's kind of an umbrella term. So, Mm -hmm. you know, be more specific. What exactly are you, you know, referring to here? So number and kind is encouraged when you're thinking about those sins. And afterwards, the priest might provide some, some counsel for you, some advice. He assigns a penance for you to complete. You make an act of contrition, which if there's none there in the confessional, you can Always look one up before you go and print one off online if you forgot that prayer. There's a few different variations of it. And then the priest will pray the prayer of absolution over you. So you mentioned the examination of conscience. Mm -hmm. What is that and what are some good guidelines for an examination of conscience? So it's it's kind of self-explanatory, I guess, in the title of it. Like it is something that helps you examine your conscience, right? Mm So usually it's, it's a series of questions to just help you to prayerfully reflect on what sins you may have been struggling with, you may have committed since your last confession. I know there's a lot of different variations out there. There's some that are based on the Ten Commandments, so it helps you to walk through the Ten Commandments and see if if you've kind of fallen in one of those particular areas. There's also one that I use, actually, when I go to confession. I prepare by using an examination of conscience that has to do with the seven deadly sins. So I can start to notice patterns of maybe a particular area of a deadly sin that I may be struggling with. There's some that are based on love of God and love of neighbor. There's there's a number of really good ones online you can find. I even, I think I saw on the USCCB, they even make one specifically for single people and specifically for married people. So it can help to be a little bit more specific depending on your vocation. So That's awesome. Yeah, th- it, it just helps to bring to light those things that maybe we hadn't even thought of. It's just the questions to kind of get our minds going and and to sort of prick our conscience to convict us to be able to bring to the light those things that maybe we weren't aware of at first glance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of our listeners who heard we were doing this episode wanted us to cover this particular question. Mm-hmm. What happens if someone purposefully hides a serious sin when they go to confession? Not that they accidentally forgot to confess it, but purposely chose not to bring it up, maybe out of shame. Yeah, so as, as you mentioned, this was sent to us by one of our listeners who 
heard that we were doing this uh, conversation and obviously we won't reveal who it was, you know, <laughs> for the sake of uh, the topic. But I, I think this is something that this could be the case for, for a number of different people, possibly those who are listening. So if you withhold a sin in confession, if it was an accident, like it, it honestly just slipped your mind, well then next time you go to confession, just make sure to bring that up. But if it was a grave or, or mortal sin and you deliberately withheld it, First of all, you can only be absolved from those sins that you confess. So even if you went through that confession and the priest granted you absolution, that sin that wasn't confessed can't be absolved. And the other thing, too, is that you'll have to bring that sin as well as all of the mortal sins that you can remember committing since that confession, even if you confess those sins, because when you purposely withheld that mortal sin, it made all of those subsequent confessions invalid, right? So that's why it's important for us to be able to be honest mm-hmm. and, and really bring to the light those mortal sins. But the good news is that all it takes is one confession, you know, to acknowledge that sin and the general overview, because maybe it was something 30 years ago. Maybe mm-hmm. 30 years ago you went to confession and you withheld this mortal sin that you haven't confessed until now. Praise the Lord that you're back. Praise the Lord that you want to, you know, get that off your conscience and entrust it to the Lord's mercy. But then you would also be asked to the best of your ability. You're not going to be able to be exactly precise, but to the best of your ability to confess any other mortal sins since that time and just make that one big Mm -hmm. general confession, entrusting it all to the Lord's mercy and with one prayer of absolution it is all absolved it is all forgiven so now with all that being said i would also add that if you're someone who knows that you struggle with scrupulosity maybe you have a confessor who has pointed out that you seem to have more of a a scrupulous conscience then a struggle for you might be that you're constantly looking back on the past and wondering wait a second did i confess that sin Uh, did i withhold that sin and then maybe you can be tempted over and over again to make a general confession just to make sure that you haven't had any you know, invalid confessions. And what I would say to uh, someone in that situation, someone who has more of a scrupulous conscience, first and foremost, what the saints have advised all throughout the centuries is that if you have a scrupulous conscience, be obedient to your confessor. So if you have a confessor you're going to, and he's uh, directing you in a particular way, just uh, trust in his guidance and be obedient to what it is that he asks of you. Um, Because he's probably going to be saying something along the lines of, only bring to him those things that you know that you deliberately withheld and that you you are so sure that you did not confess it that you'd be willing to you know, put your hand on a stack of Bibles and say, I know for sure I have not confessed this. If it's a matter of, I'm not sure whether or not I confessed this, or I'm not sure whether or not I withheld this, um, if you have a scrupulous conscience, just entrust that past to God's mercy. You only need to bring those things from your past that you know for sure you did not confess and that you know that you deliberately withheld from the confessional. I just think that that's going to be helpful for someone to uh, find some peace and not constantly be plagued by those doubts and then constantly making those general confessions because that's not going to end up bringing you the peace 
that uh, you think it's going to bring you. I don't know if, if you had any follow-up. But. I think I would like to point out is just like the sense of relief that you feel after having a good confession. Like I know one thing my family would always say whenever we would leave the confessional is we'd kind of like brush our shoulder a little bit and be <laughs> like, all clean. Yeah, <laughs> And mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, like this, this sense of relief of having made a good confession. And I know for a priest, I've heard many priests say it just brings you so much joy to hear confessions. Mm-hmm. And so I think that people really need to understand that it's it's not meant to be a shameful sacrament. It's it's a joyful sacrament, actually, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you're being reunited with God and right. there's nothing better than that. Right. And it's considered one of the two sacraments of healing in the mm-hmm. church. The graces of the sacrament are ordered towards healing. And so, yeah, as a confessor, I get to kind of get a front row seat of that as the Lord in his mercy is able to bring healing to souls who are confessing the sins that they have committed. But then again, even as a penitent, as someone who goes to confession, I know like I personally can sometimes still get a little nervous when I go to another priest for <laughs> confession. So, you know, I'm not exempt from that either. And yeah, I will leave confessional just feeling so much better than when I entered. It's not like it's always the case that the heavens open up and, you know, I hear the hallelujah <laughs> chorus or something. It would be kind of cool if that <laughs> happened. That'd be awesome. But I always leave the confessional like I'm glad that the Lord instituted this sacrament because the graces that are there and his mercy that's mediated through that. Sometimes you can feel it. Sometimes you don't. But you just trust in faith that it is at work. Mm-hmm. And it's a great gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Father Kev, I know you wanted to make sure we talked about the sins of thought. Yes. Because in the Confiteor at Mass, we say, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. When is that a sin of thought needs to be brought to confession? I like this question, and that's why I put it in here for you to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Sneakily. Um, because, yeah, yeah I... I see how that question, that difficulty can really plague people, especially if they have more of a scrupulous conscience. Yeah. Sins of thought can be tricky. So I hope that these words can help bring liberation and freedom to those who may find themselves trapped in by perhaps a a scrupulous conscience in this matter. So the first thing I would mention is that we can't always help the thoughts that pop into our head. So like as an experiment, Mary-Kate, don't think about pink elephants right now. Mary-Kate, what are you thinking about right now? That blue wall in back of your head. (laughs) (laughs) You are good. You have to teach me your secrets because 99% of the people I would ask that would say pink elephants. A pink elephant like flashed in my mind and then I was like, nope. (laughs) Yep, exactly. See, you can't help the thoughts that simply pop into your head, right? And so what we are culpable for, what we are responsible for when we start to talk about the realm of sin is what we do with those thoughts, what we consent to with our will. Because remember when we were talking about mortal sin, what were the three conditions? It had to have been sufficient reflection. There was deliberate consent and grave matter. So for it to be a mortal sin, you had to have known what you were doing and you freely chose to do it. The thought popping into your head may not have been a free choice on your part, But now that the thought is either having to do with vengeance or lust or pride or envy, well, now what are you going to do with it? Are you going to make some sort of effort to sort of dismiss that thought or are you going to choose to ruminate on it and dwell on it? Awesome. Mm -hmm. Any other questions or you think that's uh, most of the questions people have when it comes to confession? I think that covers it. Yeah. 
and I know we could talk about a lot of other things too, but I, I just think that those were the most relevant questions. I think especially during Lent and we, we had that episode on the seven deadly sins. These are just the things that I think could be on, on people's minds. There could be more obscure kind of rabbit hole questions. But yeah. I think, again, these are probably the things people are most concerned about or most thinking about. I would agree with so. that, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, with that, I found this prayer that we could close with. There's an option where you can say a Mass that's specifically devoted to forgiveness of sins. And this is the collect, the opening prayer from that Mass. So I thought that we could, even though it's an opening prayer, ironically, we're going to close <laughs> with this prayer. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty and most gentle God, who brought forth from the rock a fountain of living water for your thirsty people, Bring forth, we pray, from the hardness of our hearts, tears of sorrow, that we may lament our sins and merit forgiveness from your mercy. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Father, Father, Son, Son, Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, I mean, I think that was a, a good topic, but it's also kind of a heavier topic as well, but we can lighten it up a little bit with some one joys. So yeah. Mary Kate, what's what's a one joy for the week? My one joy for the week is actually the show, The Chosen. Yes. It is a it. show about Jesus and his disciples. And I put off watching it for a long time. I don't really know why, because I was only hearing good things about it. Mm-hmm. And everyone was telling me about it. And then my uh, father-in-law was like, have you guys seen it? You really need to watch it. And I was like, finally, okay. I'll, I'll do it. And so I put it on, watched the very first episode, and I was hooked. And I, I can honestly say every single episode has touched me in some way mm-hmm. and even brought me to tears. And so I've just really enjoyed it. And I think it really brings to light the stories of the gospel. Because I need, a couple weeks ago, we heard the story of the miracle of the fish. Mm-hmm. And when I heard it at Mass, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can actually like see this whole thing playing out because Mm -hmm. i i was able to watch that and so it really does bring it a lot to life but uh what about you father what's your one joy that's awesome actually i i had a similar experience with the show everyone was watching it and i'm i'm sort of a a rebel in that way i don't want to do what everybody else is doing and i'm also not always the biggest fan of a lot of like christian movies and stuff yeah they can be (laughs) cheesy and stuff so i was like ah i don't know another jesus show but with this show yeah i agree like at the end of every episode I'm almost always in tears yeah and yeah very good show so I, I recommend that as well I've received a lot of grace from that as well and my one joy though for this week was the book bread that is broken so that's the book that Bishop Groose has recommended everyone in our diocese read this year as we focus on revival on the Eucharist in our diocese and across the country and he actually gave it as a gift to all the priests so I sort of felt obligated that th- <laughs> that's like a double obligation from your bishop to read it so I did read it and I happened to be reading it in the Holy Land and mm-hmm. at one point I was on the rooftop of our hotel overlooking the city the old city of Jerusalem and in particular the Church of the Holy Sepulchre mm-hmm. which houses the spot where Jesus was crucified and the tomb that he was buried in. I was reading this really beautiful book of reflections on the Eucharist, overlooking the place where our salvation was won. And it was just mind-blowing, just really beautiful book. I know Emma recommended it on a previous podcast, and I recommend it as well. I might so. have to borrow it from one of you guys because it sounds like it's fantastic. Unwritten in... Is that a is that a phrase? English major? Is that 
No. Is that legit? No. Oh, heavens. Oh, boy. Oh, okay. Anyhow. We should probably stop while we're ahead. Yep. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, thanks for joining us this week, everybody. And we hope that you find a cause for joy in this upcoming week. God bless. Bye.